Hey, it's Steve and welcome to Share, a podcast that sets out to do just that. From stories and reflections to ideas and concepts, each episode will dive into a wide range of topics and discussions that come from a journey through life. The simple fact I've discovered is when we share, we empower, not just ourselves, but each other. Are you planning your next holiday? Let the team at Mind and Body Travel inspire you. With a focus on wellness and well-being, the team at Mind and Body Travel can assist you whether you're looking to attend a retreat, test yourself on an adventure, tick off that bucket list trip, or just create a travel itinerary that includes all that you want in a holiday while taking into account all that your mind and body needs. Revolutionising the way people look at holidays and travel, they believe that travel should deliver nourishment for your soul, clarity for your mind, and renewed focus upon your return. So you ready to take off? Then it's time to check in with the team at Mind and Body Travel. Just visit www.mindandbodytravel.com. This week's episode, I got to catch up with a great friend of mine. As this episode launches, he'll be well over a marathon distance into the first of three days of Trail to Triumph, an ultra marathon event that each year sees a number of runners tackle a 250 kilometer distance to raise funds and awareness for mesothelioma. In our chat, we got to cover a number of topics from his work as a physiotherapist to his love for sport, his passion for community, and the ultra marathon event he founded in his dad's honor back in 2014. Sit back and enjoy this chat with none other than the man, the myth, and legend that is Matt Britton. Matty Britton, welcome to Share. Thanks, Steve. How are you, mate? Yeah, going really well. It's been hard to nail you down, but we've finally done it. Been, uh, it's a busy time of year. Yeah, very busy time of year. And yeah, you've got a, you've got a lot coming up. I certainly do, mate. Yeah, you, you would know all about that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thought we'd start with just the first question. Who's Matt Britton? Where's he come from? Uh, who is he? Uh, I don't know, mate. Just a <clears throat> just little fella from a small coal mining town. Yeah, grew up and tried to do good things. And how, growing up in a coal miner's town, in a small town, how's that shaped you? Um, well, I grew up in Moranbar. We moved from Sydney in 1982, uh, February 1982 and straight into soccer and school but soccer was always our family passion with my brother and my dad wasn't really a a soccer town it was more a rugby league town so i had to learn a bit of resilience with being not the popular sport in town but in in a in a small town like that you're uh you're playing the sport or there's not really much else to do yep yep what are some of those memories of those years in in mckay and moorumbah probably one of my favorite memories was we had we had lived in moorumbah for a year and then my dad got a job painting the drag lines at the New Riverside Mine. And so we lived at a, co- at a, at a camp um, called Arden, just outside of Riverside. And they actually walked a drag line from where they painted it to the Riverside coal mine. It, it was incredible. It took ages to do it. Um, but we met some really cool people on, on, the, on the campsite. And a lot of them were into soccer as well. So at the back of our van... Um, they, there was like a bit of bushland, but there was a clear space and it was big enough for us to make a football field. So what we did, we, we dug out the lines, um, like I, I would have been close to a full size, dug out the lines and then went to a different part of the camp and got some different colored sand and we were it all in. And, uh, and then we made goals out of trees and we just played football as much as we could until they bulldozed it and didn't want us to play anymore. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So what age did you escape the small town? Uh, I lived in Moranbar for about 15 years. 
um, did a, an apprenticeship as a diesel fitter at Cunyola Riverside uh, and then left in January 1997, which would have made me 22 years old or 21, nearly 22. Yep. And what did that take you on to? That took me straight to England. I, I, le- I left um, with, with the apprenticeship to the coal mines. I don't know what it's like now, but you sign up and the day you finish your contract, you are then unemployed and you can't work at that coal mine for another year. I had made my mind up pretty early that this was a good fallback job, but I wanted something different. I wanted to travel. Um, my brother had been overseas for many years doing, doing a lot of football um, throughout the world, and I wanted to have a look at what he was having a look at. Um, so I went straight to England. Um, actually, I went via Thailand. Did some, some Thai boxing there uh, with the Australian Thai boxing team and um, and then went on to England from there. And, and I hear you did pretty well with your Thai boxing. Um, I would say that my, my hard head and my big heart was better than my talent, um, but I had a lot of fun with it, yeah. Yeah, well, you, anything you do, I've always seen you're a tough competitor. I do my best, yeah. I, I learned a lot of lessons through through Thai boxing, boxing, um, and, and through um, and Taekwondo as well. What, what I really did learn, which is, which I think is a really good message for, for kids that get into combat sports these days is that you learn, you learn to defend yourself so that you don't have to defend yourself. Mm. If, you're, if you're confident to talk your way out of a situation or you're fit enough to just turn around and leg it, that's the better option. Yeah. Well, there's definitely, when you look at the martial arts, that discipline, you know, there's a real mental aspect to it, isn't there? That's right. Yeah, there really is. If you're, if you're strong mentally and you're confident within yourself, you can get through a lot of challenges. So what was on the table in, in England? What did, you, what did you do there? Well, I actually, and, and this is a funny story as well, I, I, in, in, the, in the Australian team, there were three guys that had chicken pox when we were training. We were going to the, to the world titles in Bangkok. So we would spend six hours a day for 10 days training on Koh Samui, and then we would, we would go and fight in the world titles. And I had cuts on my elbows from elbowing pads, and they got infected. So I went to this hospital in Koh Samui, and they told me that I had chickenpox. And I definitely did not have chickenpox, but they treated me for it. And they said, you can't train. you got to stay away from the group. So Thai food is beautiful. So I sat there for the next five days eating Thai food, increasing my weight. And then when I went to weigh in, I was 5.2 kilos over the weight limit. And I had 12 hours to lose it. So I spent that whole 12 hours in the sauna. I had to chew gum and spit into a cup. I was allowed to rinse my mouth and then spit it into the cup. I wasn't allowed to eat or drink. And so while I was in the sauna, I met this guy who I was supposed to fight the next day called Gary McAllister, which is kind of fitting because he's a, he's a football name. He was from the northeast. He's from a town called Newton Acliffe up near Newcastle. Yep. And the draw was changed. I didn't have to fight him. I lost to the world champion the next day, but I did make weight by 50 grand. And while we were chatting in the sauna, he said, what are you doing next after here? I said, I'm going to England. And he goes, Come and stay with me. So I lived with him for a little bit. I gave him my tracksuit. I gave his son my Australia shorts. And his son told me that he would go on to become a world champion. And he did. So he's, he's now a retired world champion, his son. So I lived with them for a couple of months, twice, over, over the course of a few years. And really chased Aston Villa around England for a little bit. Yep. And you and I have had a friendship, even though we're on opposite sides of the sporting scene. Yeah. Yes, we, we, we've had a long friendship. You've been very important in my life, the way that you've treated me and, and looked after me and 
and the things that I believe in and the support you've shown me throughout my career, but also throughout my work in charity as well. That's something that I'll never forget and always appreciate. Yeah. Well, right back at your brother as well, because, you know, you're one of those guys that if you need to call on someone, like we might not see each other or, or chat to each other regularly, but, uh, you know, you're just a, a phone call away. I hope so, mate. And, and, and likewise, the same, the same back at you. I've never felt like I can't ask you a question or can't ask you a favor and, you know, know that I'm going to get a, a response that is, is helpful in some way. Yeah. It's, uh, it's nice to have those friendships, definitely. Absolutely, mate. So, what occupations did you get into in, in England? I was a welder. I was welding axles for Land Rover Discovery for a number of months. Don't buy a European one because I welded them. <laughs> <laughs> I worked in a lot of bars and played a bit of pub football. You'd get a free beer. That's, that was my payment. Uh, but mostly in bars. Managed a few bars in, in Birmingham and in London. So they were, they were great times. And then you came back home? I came back home, so I lived there for most of 97, came home, lived on the Gold Coast in 1998, and then went back to England, 99, 2000, came home just after 2001, September 11 attack, went to New Zealand with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and then we moved to Australia so that I could study. Yeah, and what did you study? At first, I studied arts with the goal of getting to physiotherapy, which is, which is what I'm doing now. Yep. So what made you choose physiotherapy? Um, well, I... I, um, when I went through school, I always wanted to be either be a physiotherapist or a professional soccer player. Um, I was too lazy to do either for the, for the hard work. So I was actually in Scotland and, um, I was in the main street in Fort William and the big band was coming down the street and, uh, the bass player had a heart attack and died on the street. And there's about 20 people all gathered around him and I was about 30, 40 meters back just watching this unfold because I had no idea what I was doing. If I'm going over, I'm just going to smother him anyway. Um, and this, this poor man died. And I spoke to uh, a bartender that night and he told me the guy's name, which, which I don't remember. But what I do remember is that he was my dad's age. And I always thought if my dad is in trouble, I hope somebody can help him. And I still regret not being able to help that man. So I decided that when I go home, I, I want to do something in the health industry and I want to help. Um, I don't deal with death very well, so doctor isn't for me. That's my brother and my sister. Um, so I chose to work back through uh, my, my apprenticeship actually helped me get into university. Uh, so I went through Bachelor of Arts and did, did two years in that and then upgraded and got into physiotherapy from there. What do you enjoy the most about physiotherapy? Definitely helping people. You don't help everyone. You know, the, the, it's, not a, it's not a career where everybody is fixed all the time. But I do my best and I like to be there when someone, when someone needs me. And if I can guide them in some direction, then I'm happy with that. Yep. I always love, you know, one of the quotes over the years that you always said to me is that if you have to keep coming back weekly, I'm not doing my job right. Yes. I'm, I'm certainly one who would like to get you working yourself, maintaining yourself at home. But I, I, I live by, I, I guide you, but you fix yourself. Yep. Come back and see me for maintenance. Come back and see me if you get injured again. But my goal is to get you out the door as quickly as possible, pain-free, injury-free, but with a good a good understanding of what's happening with your body and with a, with a goal of if something happens similar in, in, in the future, you can try these little tricks or these little exercises uh, that we've given you and, and see if it works. If not, come back. Give me a call and we'll have a chat and see if we can get you going again. Yep. Now, through your 
career of physiotherapy? Who's been some of your biggest influences through that career? I, to be honest, I, I really look up to my brother and my sister with, with the work they do in medicine. Both incredible doctors, but really just incredible people. I look up to a lot of the clients that I see because they, I think they give you a sense of fulfillment and they give you a reason to come into work every day and, and want to keep helping you. I, I certainly learned a lot from a friend of mine who I, who I first worked with, Adam Atherton at Orion Family Physiotherapy. He does a lot of good work with new graduates and, and, and people who have been in their trade for a long time. And a couple of fellow friends, but students that I, that I studied with, but, but then worked with Joel Barnes and Kalika Jaisaria, two physios who I had so much respect for, but just really brilliant at their job. Um, and you know, they're both business owners now. One's in Toowoomba, uh, Kalika and Joel's in New Zealand with a business as well and just doing really well, but you know, also very good people. You mentioned your clients. I know physiotherapy has actually led you to some great experiences in the sporting world as well. Did you just want to reflect on some of those? There's a, there's a lot actually. I've I've worked in soccer in Brisbane with with the Ipswich Knights. That was that was a fun time. They're, they're a really really good club, full of good people. Really grassroots club. I worked with the Mackay Crusaders when they came to. When they came to Brisbane for their away game, my dad actually was one of the people who started the Mackay Crusaders as an academy way, way back when he was alive. I worked as a volunteer with the Brisbane Rural Women's Team a number of years ago. I, I, I volunteered with the Southeast Queensland Rugby League team, the women's team. Joel was actually the, the physio for the team and they were playing state titles in, in Mackay and it was my dad's birthday weekend. So I thought I'll, I'll go up and stay with dad and Joel can come and stay with us as well and we can go and help some some ladies play rugby league as well actually we didn't help them play rugby league they were way too tough for me their their, their skills were far better than what i could do but we um we hopefully kept them on the field yeah that's awesome two things that i've really uh, like noticed with you is that you're you're always very encouraging of the youth in sport yep. and also with the women's game as well yeah i i I think that they're two, I guess is demographic the right word, two populations that are not looked after as well as they should be. We're now starting to see the women become more popular in sport, uh, looking at the World Cup that's, that's just recently been on. The the popularity that that, that that tournament had and the people that showed up just showed how how good the game is and, and the level of the game I thought was really quite incredible. I've stated a number of times that that World Cup was probably the best World Cup I've ever seen of any sport, simply because there were so many nations that we thought could win throughout the throughout the tournament. You know, you're getting Spain beat by Japan. You're getting England probably should have lost to Nigeria. You're getting Australia doing so well, and and a number of those ladies that played for the for the Australian team were actually at the Raw when I volunteered, and so it was. It was nice sitting there watching them and and uh, you know having having worked with them for a, for a number of weeks at, at the Roar as well. And then looking at the kids play, we got we got so many talented kids and we really need to progress them and you know help them out a lot more than we already are. There's there's so much more money we can pump into the game uh, or into into sport in general and and not just sport into trades into music and and really you know get them going and have them want to come out of something just 
really buzzing every day that they uh, that they go to training or they think about wanting to play down the road here at the Brisbane Lions and and just just have them really have that kind of you know you go to training you see what you want to do and your heart's beating out of your chest because you can't wait for your career that's in the future that's that's what we need kids doing yeah there's there's definitely some amazing role models coming through you know the the sporting arena at the moment especially in the women's game and one of the things i i notice about the women's sport whether it's football or rugby league is they seem to be overly great role models there doesn't seem to be the the controversy or the behavioral issues that the males the men's sport has absolutely i and i can give you a couple of examples there one of course is i think Australia's favorite female athlete in Ash Barty and I mean we've we've both seen her around town. What I've always noticed about Ash is that she's very she's very humble in everything she does. You know, she she shops at the local shops and, you know, you can walk past, you can say hello, she's not going to ignore you. But when you when you see her, she's often having a conversation with somebody who she probably has never met before, but she gives her time. And she's she's very well, humble is, is, is the right word, but she's very humble with her time and, and, and speaks freely to people. And I love that because people, men, women, kids really look up to that. Another one is Karina Brown, the rugby league player. So she was, she was in the Southeast Queensland team. We went to Mackay and I was talking to a friend, a friend of ours from, from this area, Donna Hanna, and her, her daughter is a, was a big league fan. And, um, I messaged Karina and I said, Hey, my daughter and her friend would love your autograph. And she said, Hang on, wait until the Australian team goes into camp and I'll get everyone to sign a photo. So she, she posted me these two pictures signed by the whole team. That, that's just incredible. It's just really nice things like that. Hayley Rasso is another one. You know, I, I was talking to her at training and I said, You're my daughter's favorite player. And she said, well, we're playing at the Olympic ground this weekend, bring her along. So she made a point of coming off the field, standing there talking to my daughter for a long time, having a photo taken, signing her shirt, and just being, just being normal and just being a nice person. And, and in fact, the whole, the whole Brisbane Rural team were like that when, it, when I was working for them. Yeah, that's a really good culture as well, isn't it? You know you've got the culture Certainly. right when that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another perfect example was V Popovich. Um, she saw me on the concourse at, at a Brisbane Rule game. I was playing a double header, and she said, "Where are you sitting?" And I to- and I told her because she knew my son played, and he was still sitting in the seat. So she took a photo of my ticket, and her and another player came down at half time and sat there for most of the second half talking to my kids. You know, you, you don't you don't get that kind of thing. It's just really really nice to see. It's it's nice to see that real human side of things, and I think as sport has increased and the wages have increased in in many places, it's it's been hard to actually have that humility and that human approach, especially in the you know like if you look in the Premier League and that sometimes you kind of see some of the guys that are paying paid hundreds of millions of dollars. They just uh, hang on when when you started, you would have signed that autograph, but now you just you know you walk straight past the fan, and at the end of the day, the fans are paying your wages. That's right. Yes. There's, there is a lot of that that happens, and I think that's particularly high up in the men's sport. I, I don't think you're going to see that in, in the women's game at the moment. And hopefully they've seen what's happened in, in, in men's sport and, and, and don't do that. Um, Ash Barty's a perfect example of, of not doing that. And there's, there's many, many men who are completely different as well yeah. um, and will stop and give you time. 
Um, and there's plenty, you know, there's plenty to do a lot for charity who don't actually announce it. They just do it. And, and I think that's, you know, you're doing charity for the right reason there when you don't need people to know what you're doing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Obviously, we've already said you, you've done a lot in the, the community. You won an Ipswich Sport and Recreation Award in 2023 in the Australia Day Awards. What did that mean to you? I was quite humbled by that, actually, because I spoke to the, the gentleman who was, uh, that was in the final, I guess, and when I listened to what he was doing, I was quite surprised that they selected me. And I, and I was really humbled and I, I spoke to him afterwards and I said, I think, I think this should have been your award. And, um, he said, well, I listened to what they said about you and I think you deserve it as well. So it's, it's a shame they couldn't give two awards out. I think, I think living in the Ipswich community, where, where I'm in Springfield Lakes and this area is a really good area. It's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of fantastic people here. There's a lot of great athletes and it's nice to be recognized that. People think I'm trying to do good things. I, I feel like I'm really just going for a run. But I think people feel a little bit more deeply than that. Yeah, talking about running, you helped found SRG, Springfield Runners Group. I did, yes. Before it even started. Yes. So the story behind that one was there's a, a personal trainer in the area, uh, Natalie Jones or Natalie Sutton now, who would take a, a class down at Rebel Domain and uh, a lot of people would go and turn up for the session and end up destroyed. Then she would go for a run on a Monday or a Wednesday night at eight fifteen on her own in the dark. My wife Kylie said to me one day, We can't let her do that. Like that's dangerous. So I would have the kids and I'd drop them down to Kylie. Kylie would pick them up and take them home and I would go for a run with Natalie. And over one, two, three weeks a couple of fellas would come along and I'm you know, we're saying we need we need more people here. I can't do it every week and there might be other ladies who, who want a bit of support or a bit of um, security, I guess, for, so that they can train. And it slowly grew and Natalie started a Facebook page and it grew and grew and grew and you came along and, and a lot of a lot of locals came along and, and helped progress that uh, that group. And I think there's a couple of thousand in the group now. You know, they've got they've got a great committee now led by uh, Laurie Guy, lovely lady just around the corner. And and those kind of people who really want to help and just do good things and get kids running. They have two they have two running uh, kids running groups now, so they have a run around the field and have a bit of fun. And I have, think they have like a youth development group now. I haven't really been involved in in SRG for a number of years now. Uh, I get down and have a run a couple of times a year. But the group's running really strong. Yeah, yeah. Now talking about your sense of community, do you think that came from growing up in a small town? Yes, I think it did, but I think it came from, I think it came from the people around me closer to me. My dad was always very, very giving with his time, probably too much time and just wanted to make things better for everybody. And, and I think I kind of followed that path where I just wanted to try and do good things and help people and help people improve themselves or reach their goals. And when you see, like-minded people in your area that want to do it like yourself and you know people like Cameron Thompson, Adam Atherton, Laurie Guy, Shane Guy, you know there's a fantastic sports scientist around the corner, Kate Stossel, you know people like that that want to want to do good things for people. It makes you want to do more. Yeah. So and talking about doing more, trail to triumph. 
Tell me about Trail to Triumph. So Trail to Triumph started in 2014. My dad passed away from mesothelioma in March 2014. And a couple of weeks before he died, I promised that I would do something big for him. I didn't know what it was, but I promised that I would and asked him who we would like me to raise some money for. And uh, he said the Bernie Banton Foundation. So mesothelioma is a, is a cancer caused by exposure to asbestos. So when he passed away, I kind of had to think about what I wanted to do and it took me a little while. And dad being massive in soccer, we would, we would drive from Murrumbatta Mackay, which is a 200 kilometer one way trip. We would do that trip there and back two, three, sometimes four times a week just for training and games. And then he, we would go running around the bush in Murrumbatta on the other days. So I decided that I had to run dad home. And uh, ran from Kai to Moorumbah and had a little game of soccer at the end of it. And it was a uh, it was a tough run that year. It was none of us really knew what to expect, what to do. We had to go inland on this pipeline road, so it's a dirt road the whole way. The highway's too dangerous. And it started from there. And we we got to Moorumbah and raised a little bit of money. And there's a lot of Moorumbah locals are out. Uh, and then we realised we had to drive two and a half hours back to Mackay. And everybody was tired. So try to get a little bit of rest. And from then on, we just went, we can't, we can't do that direction anymore. So now we run the other way. We run back into Mackay and we're growing. We started with one full-time runner and a couple of helpers and Jared Townsend on the bike, who Jared came up with the name of, of the not-for-profit. He came up with the logo. Obviously, the, the Aston Villa colors were, were my idea. And he was... He was everything on the bike. He was in social media. You know, we had Daryl Crowder, who he was still still involved. He was one of Dad's best friends. He's basically in charge of the event uh, when we when we run. And now we have forty five runners going up this year in two weeks' time. Massive and nearly forty crew. So we've we've got a big team this year. Yeah. Well, mentioning Trail to Triumph, this episode people will be listening to it as you're probably just over the marathon mark on on day one. Okay. Yeah, so we would have we would have left Moranbah Soccer Club, Moranbah Hawks, at three o'clock in the morning. We we sleep in an open air shelter um, that they built in my dad's honour, and so we'll we'll see photos of the Tony Britton shelter. Uh, we'll run out of Moranbah along Mills Avenue, and then up towards Bunyella Coal Mine. We'll turn left, uh, sorry, turn right, and head to Broad Meadows where BMA Broad Meadows put on a um, beautiful breakfast for us. So uh, thanks, Broad Meadows. I enjoyed it this morning. <laughs> I believe it's going to be bacon and eggs. There's going to be some fruit. There's going to be some fruit juice. There'll be some, you know, there'll be some drinks there. But everyone will be everyone will be fed and very happy. Oh, good. Well, I'm guessing all the all the crew won't be listening to this podcast on that day, but maybe the volunteers can in the in the car. Quite possibly. I'm I'm sure they'll get around it and give me a bit of grief throughout the weekend. Now, the mission around mesothelioma, obviously, there's a lot of spotlight on a lot of dust, other dust-related diseases as well that have come from that. Yes. So, mesothelioma, silicosis, black lung, which is, you know, something big in, in Moranbar at the moment, and the coal mining towns. You've also got farmer's lung, there's a groomer's lung. So, there's, there's, a, there's a lot going on in, in the dust space, and silicosis is, is something at the moment with the, with the granite bench tops and with with the trades that's that's really hitting people hard at the moment. Yep. Now since the, the first year back in two thousand and fourteen, I think you've raised over four hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Yes, we're about we're about there, yeah. That's awesome. And tell me 
where's that money gone and, and where is the money going into the future? Okay. So the first the first few years we gave to the Bernie Banton Foundation. That's who my dad asked us to look after. So they they go around Australia basically, but a lot of New South Wales and create awareness around asbestos exposure. From there we started working with the Lung Foundation where we've partnered with them and we've we've created a grant for uh, a researcher in Adelaide, I think, who is working with mesothelioma and created a register for, for patients. From there, we started work with the Heart of Australia. This organisation is incredible. It's run by Dr. Rolf Gomes. And if you, if you have a look at the Heart of Australia website, there's an Australian story program on the bottom of the page that, that tells his story. But basically, he wanted to see specialist services provided to regional Queensland. So he fought and, and campaigned and built a, a heart truck that he called Heart One. And it went around regional Queensland looking after people, giving them those services. He's now got Heart One, Heart Two, Heart Three, Heart Four, and Heart Five. And he's got a wide range of specialists that, that service the area. Heart Five is pretty special to us because we, we give, well, for us, a substantial amount of money, but some of the companies that, that put money into Heart of Australia to support them are you know, significantly more. It has the world's first battery-operated mobile CT machine on on heart uh, on heart five, so it's it's a specialist lung truck. And with our donation each year, they put our logo on the truck and they put my dad's photo and story in the reception of the truck. So when they do their gala night, which is in November, people should jump on and have a look at that because it's an amazing night. They bring two big B doubles into the convention center in Brisbane. And you can go through and have a look at these trucks and, you know, the things that they do inside the trucks. And I, I cannot speak highly enough of this organization and the people in it. And obviously, you know, Trail to Triumph, it says Tony's Journey. And there's a special yep. number that's on every bit of merchandise. What's the number? So the number is 22,938. That's the number of days my dad lived for. I just like that it's something different and it creates a conversation. You can... You can see the number on the on the back of the jersey, on the back of you know, on the back of the hat. You can see it everywhere, and people often want to know what it's about. And it's, it's a great way to stri- to strike up a conversation, uh, and then people want to know more about what we're doing. So this year, you're heading into your tenth run. Yes. How many runners have completed the 250 kilometres? Oh, I was waiting for this question, and I didn't look it up, but I think I think there's about 17 to 20 that have finished it. Yep. A few that have finished it multiple times. There's many who haven't finished it or haven't finished it every time they've tried it, me included. But they keep coming back for more. They do keep coming back for more. Over the years, Matt, what are some what are some of your favourite memories of the runs? There was there was a a, a Moorumbah boy last year, Clay McLeod, and he I I knew him quite well from Moorumbah. He was a few years under me, and he was a he was a bit of a larrikin. You know, just getting in trouble at school like we all did as boys, but he's, he's a good fella, always nice to me. And one of the other guys, Richard Apps, he's, he's, he's a machine, this bloke. He, he was talking to Ty one day and Ty was talking about running with, with Appsy and he said he wouldn't mind doing this, this trial to triumph run. So I phoned him up and I said, oh, I hear you, I hear you're interested. He got a little emotional on the phone and he said, I can't believe you're calling me. I said, mate, I knew you from way back. 
you know, I heard you wanted to wanted to come along, and you know, you're, you're welcome to join us. So we came along, did did the run, and on day two, so day one's 112 kilometres, and there wasn't many to finish day one last year. I didn't finish it. So 17 full timers had started. Day two, he was running with myself, my daughter, and one of Atsy's daughters, uh, little Eden, and we we're going through Yungala Rainforest. And he looked at me and he says, "I'm done. I can't do any more." I said, Ty, we're three k's from Yungala Hall. You got lunch, and then we can go on from there. He said, "No, I'm not going to go down the range. I'm, I think I've had enough." I said, "All right, okay." So um, we have pretty strict rules on if you don't make it, you can jump in the truck and catch up and have a rest and whatnot. But you're not a full time finisher. So as we run towards the hall, one of our massage therapists said, "Okay, jump out here. We'll get everyone to wait for you." And I said, "Let him get to the hall." If we get to the hall, we're still in the game. He said, okay, good. What do you need? I said, we'll, we'll, we'll chat when we get in there. Let's just get him in there. So as we get to the front, the, the police always give us an escort down the range, which is it's, it's a super cool experience to having this police car looking after us. So my my best friend in the world, other than my, my family, is uh, is Dan Cody. And he's he's been with me from day one and always looked after me. He's at the front gun. Police said they'll wait. They'll give Ty time to get ready. And I said, don't do it. Don't do it. Tell him we're going on time. Ty cannot think. He needs to get in, get his stuff done and get out because if he thinks, he's stopping. He said, right, what do you need? And I said, he wants a hat with a flap. He wants a new shirt. He wants new socks and shoes, sun cream, a bite to eat and a drink. So we walked in. And as we, uh, as we sit down, the crew said, what do we need? And Dan goes, he needs this, 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 and this. So they sat him down and it was like a Formula One pit crew. He just sat there just going like that. And everything's just getting done for him. Food's getting put in his mouth. He's getting a drink. He's getting hat, sun cream, everything on. And I'm, I just kind of sat down and kind of giggled to myself that, you know, this is awesome because I wasn't going to run down the range. I'd, I'd stop on day one anyway. And then uh, my wife, Kylie, and, and Claire Wells, they grabbed me and they said, what do you need? And I went, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And they went, nope. And the same happened to me. So I got the full pit crew as well. And then we ran down the range. And they pushed Ty, pushed Ty all the way to the end of day, end, end of light, sundown, last light, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then day three is, is a day where only the people who have finished the full-time distance can start. There was only three left. Nobody's ever pulled out on day three. So they ran past the normal breakfast stop. They were flying. And the two other guys were Richard Apps and Anthony Gordon. These guys were so strong the whole weekend. Didn't look like stopping. And it got to a point where Ty kept getting dropped off the back, getting dropped off the back, and we'd let him catch up and he'd drop again. And we had to make the decision that, He's done, and he has to get in a vehicle. His weekend's over. He can't be full-time. So our front vehicle, Daryl, he turns around, he gets on the two-way, and we've sent the run captain, Neil McNeil, back to try and get Ty going, and it, it worked for a little bit. And so Daryl calls the paramedic and says, okay, Ty's got to get in. He's done. So Glenn reaches out the window and says, Ty, you're done. You've got to get in the vehicle. So Ty turns around, looks up, starts walking towards the truck and he goes, I'm not getting in that truck. I'm not getting in the truck. And he turned around down this hill. So we were we were at the bottom in the in the bridge. 
he's run down the hill up the other side where the other two boys were halfway up the hill walking up the hill. And as I'm watching him running down the hill, I start crying. I'm just going, he's going to do this. He's going to do it. So I jumped out of the vehicle and I run up the street and I said to, to Anthony and, and Apsi, let him go past you and let him get a lead and just slowly catch him up. Don't chase him. Don't chase him up the hill. For the rest of the day, he was unstoppable. It hurt, but he was unstoppable. And when we when we had our presentation on the Sunday night, we give everyone a medal in this event. If you're crew, if you're a full-time runner or a part-time runner, we all get the same medal because we're all the same person, we're all the same team. And when Ty came up, he wanted to say a few words and basically thank the team, thank the crew for getting him through and you know having this goal be achieved. And he did it for them and because of them. And this year he's been a little bit injured, uh, but he wants to come back and help somebody else the same way he was helped. So, you know, just watching and talking to somebody like that who hasn't been in your life for a quarter of a century and then is now such a big inspiration and such a, a big person who wouldn't speak very highly of himself and he would just think that he's done, done, done a run, just been for a run over the weekend. But what he's actually done is create awareness. His, his friends and his family and their friends and family know what Ty's done. He's created so much inspiration throughout the, you know, the 50 people that were up there last year. And now people are going to hear his story again and they're going to talk to him this year and it just gets bigger and bigger. And that just shows we were talking earlier about the mental game. Yes. Yes. This man, you know, anyone who, puts their shoes on and has a go at this run, I take my hat off to. I take my hat off even quicker to the crew, the crew who who help us, you know, through the whole weekend. You know, your Daryl Crowders, your Aaron Wolf, my wife Kylie, Claire Wells, Peter Lannan, people like that who jump in and they just do everything they can. And there's just so many people that do such good stuff there. We, we have a paramedic, Glenn, who donates his whole weekend. For the last number of years, health security education, Glenn Van Emmerich, it, it, what, what an amazing human. What, what he does is, and, and the, the crew all the same, there's a few people who can take you off the road. If the vehicles think you're falling behind too much and we're not going to make the stops that we need to make, they'll put you in a vehicle. If Glenn says you're not fit, he'll, he'll put you in a vehicle. The hardest part for me was getting put in a vehicle, but Glenn takes the emotion out of it and doesn't want me or anyone else to die. And and it's a it's very real. It's been forty six degrees up there. It's gonna be hot again this year. And these people are saving your life. You're talking about the story around Ty and it makes me think back to Dan Ribu, I think in two thousand eighteen, my first year. And yeah. similar. He he took off in the morning, day one, he was just flying, you know? And yeah. and then when we get to the dam, I think you go around the dam and we Young girl Dan? Yeah. 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 And then we um, were heading off along that road and I remember Dan was just done and Peter and I kind of took him aside and gave him the pep talk. We gave him some – and he's like, I'm done. I'm jumping in the car. I'm done, done. You know. And we're like, no, you're not. Just get some icy poles into you, you know, get the sugar into you and stuff like that. And it, you know, I remember when we got to the, I think the end of day two, 
he was so grateful, you know, but it was similar. Every time we got to a stop, it was like, right, how do we get Dan? And and he just settled back into it, but it was that mental game. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was a really that was a really great performance by Dan. And and I remember uh like like you and Peter did, we Dan and I shared a few tears and a few stories on, on one of those days. It was probably day two. And you know, just that that this is a hard event and it's okay to DNF, but we want to get through. But my favourite Dan story was the year that he didn't finish. And Dan has a pretty good record of never never not finishing an event. And he was he'd never been a big caffeine taker. I think he overdosed on caffeine and it sent him a bit loopy. I'm sure he would be okay with me saying that. And he had to stop. And he was he was devastated. And and I didn't know what he was going to be like for the rest of the weekend and I was a little bit worried about him. And we gave him a job. There was only one person left out of I think there was twelve tried to tried to finish that year. And there was only Apsy left. And so we said, We've got to give Dan something to do just to keep his mind off not finishing. So we said, Dan, your job is to sit behind the front vehicle and pace Apsy. If he wants to go quicker, you tell the car to go quicker. If he wants to go slower, you tell the car to go slower. That guy danced for the rest of the weekend. Just just watching him, he was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. To watch Dan run behind that trailer, not worried about himself, but just trying to get Apsy through, like the rest of us, but but we gave Dan that important job and he did it so well. I just love the fact that he's gone from being so upset and disappointed at not finishing because he's a perfectionist to making his whole weekend about Apsy finishing. What a good guy. He was just so, so happy helping somebody else. I think that's what this event does for people is that when, when you can't go any further, People just automatically turn into crew and they turn into people who want to see somebody else do something amazing. And when you, you touched on how did it start, I meant to mention a few other people and I really don't think that I'm doing them justice if I, if I don't mention them. One of, of course, we talked about Jared. We talked about Daryl. We talked about my immediate family. My brother came along and, and kept me on the road. Marianne Ackland is somebody who was with us for a number of years and had some had some sickness in her family and, and had to take some time. When I started wanting to do this run, I was about three weeks away from running and she said to me, who did you have to go through for permits? And I went, I have to get permits for this? So in three weeks, she organised my run. So along with Jared Townsend, but she looked at council permits, traffic, police, ambulance, all that kind of thing. She she organised all that kind of paperwork. Daryl Crowder, who has run it most years for me, Sean Rohagans, Aaron Wolf, there's there's Pat Richards, there's Alan Rumming, there's Werner Rumming. So they came along and cooked and set up camp the first year. These kind of people really if if it wasn't for them, the first year may have happened, but the second year wouldn't have happened. My brother's good friend Jason Hatton came and ran a bit. Uh, my good friend Russell Fry came and ran. Dan Cody picked me up at the end of night two, drove me home to Moranbar. I slept in his kid's bed and then they drove me back to the start. And, you know, for, for day three, 
there's Martin Lambert from Mackay, another one of Dad's good friends. So many of my dad's friends have jumped on board and, and really made my life and Tony's journey so much easier and so much better that we now have 85 people that want to jump on board and we've actually had to turn people down this year because it's been so popular. And once again, I'm probably forgetting people, but I, I really needed to mention those few people because without them, we have nothing. Well, I think the key thing from me being part of uh, Triple T as well is that everyone in Triple T, there's no ego. Everyone's very humble and uh, I don't think anyone's going to be worried if they get missed out because you attend one run or you attend a trivia or you attend a bubbles and brush or a laps for lungs or anything like that. The key thing is you become part of the Triple T family. And as you said, with the runners, you know, if one pulls out, they all just kind of huddle in and and support who's still going. Yeah. We we had... On, on the second year, we had Adrian Fisher and um, Dave Perkins were running and, and they were trying to do the full-time and Adrian made it look really easy. The interesting thing about that run was that Dave lost his mum the week before and drove out with my brother to run the event. Yep. He, he literally had his mum's funeral, took his daughter to a dance concert and then, you know, that afternoon he's, He's come out to Moorumbah with my brother to, to turn around and run at 3 o'clock in the morning. And as we come past Pinnacle, Pinnacle Pies on, uh, uh, just after lunch on, on the Saturday, well, towards the end of the day on the Saturday, he came up next to me and he said, would it be okay if we pulled into Pinnacle Pies and my family's waiting for me? I said, Dave, you've, you've just lost your mum. You've, you've walked away from you know the, the process of grieving so that you can come and help me with my dad, of course we can stop. So I saw his family there and I, I really wanted to extend my, I guess, my love and my condolences to, to his dad and, and his family. And I, I walked up to his dad and started crying and he consoled me. <laughs> you know, there's there's so many good people out there that, that do fantastic things and I seem to run in, into a lot of them in, in Trail to Triumph. You've got some amazing, amazing people in the running community and the running community as a whole, right? Through SRG, through Triple T, you know, Gold Coast Marathons, uh, any of the runs that have been done. And, you know, there's a chicken suit that's got around a little bit as well. Yes. There's a couple of chicken suits now, I think. <laughs> Where was the chicken suit born? I think you know the answer to that one. That was, uh, that was uh, I think you were, you were the gorilla that year. Yeah, it was. You were, yeah. So there's a festival for... Kids with disabilities, I believe, down at Rebel Domain. They had Channel 7. James, he was the weatherman for Channel 7 for Sunrise. He came down and they were doing, you know, the, the dunk tank thing. And so the, uh, all the superheroes were there and all had masks on. And the poor old chicken had no mask, but he was the one that had to get dunked. <laughs> they had everyone up on, up on stage doing Gangnam style. But so I believe that came from. Lorenzo Nathanby bought that chicken suit and asked me to wear that. Now the the now Springfield City Group. So that was a, that was a good day. That was good fun. And I, I bet after all the events it's done, he never asked for it back. I don't think he wants it back. <laughs> I think I've still got the gorilla suit actually. I did offer him the chicken suit back. He just said, "You keep it, Matty." <laughs> now, Matt, as we said. You're going to be over a marathon running this uh, when this episode comes out. How can people 
not just connect with you and, you know, kind of connect with Triple T for this year and support, but how can they support in the coming years as well? If you have a look at www.traveltotriumph.com.au, you can have a look at the website there. There's Travel to Triumph on Facebook. It's on LinkedIn. It's also on Instagram. You can have a look at anything there. If you want to get involved, shoot us a message on one of those platforms. Um, you can make a donation on the website or you can have a look at any of the runner profiles and donate to a specific runner if you want. Flick me a message. Let's have a chat. Let's get you running. Or if you want to be part of the crew, we'll have seven bike riders this year. You know, we've got a, a massive crew. So, yeah, everyone's everyone's welcome to have a look as long as you get in before registration's closed. Otherwise, Sean's going to be a bit antsy. I'm sure. I know I was chatting to my brother around the, the travel arrangements, seeing he, he does the flights and accommodation and everything like that, and he says, it's a big crew this year. Yeah, and so I, I watched your first uh, podcast with Mark, and I really wanted to make a point of, of mentioning Mark in, in this one. So, you know, Mark Hodgson, Mind and Body Travel, he's donated a number of prizes for our for our trivia nights and things like that, as have, as have you uh, and Trace. I feel really comfortable flicking Mark a message and going, hey, I've got 80 people coming up. What can you do? And he, and he helps us out. And, you know, nothing's a problem. I've, uh, my, my wife and my daughter went to Fiji this year and their group went through Mark. And I did an event in America this year uh, over Easter at, uh, called Expedition Ozark. And that's a that's an adventure you want to get on. That What a fantastic event that is. But I said to Mark, this is what I want to do. How can you help me? And he got me over there and he found, I think, the only company in the world that would ensure me to, to go and do that event. Like you, mate, he's, a, he's an absolute gentleman and, and just a really, really easy man to talk to and a really good person. You know, beautiful family and just somebody who's, who's there to help you and, and look after you. And I think he lives by, you know, what he says in, in, in making, your, making your trip about not, not just a, a work trip or something. He wants to design your holiday to make it something that's worthwhile so you don't have to come home and have another holiday to get over what you've just done. I can't speak highly enough about him. Yeah. What he does is is pretty phenomenal. And I always say, I know it could be biased, but the level of effort that he goes to with each and every client, I, I did a hike with him this morning and we were talking about it and he was like explaining to me all the things he was doing for a client yesterday uh, who's in Europe. And like people that book their own travel, I just sit there and why would you when you've got someone that like he messages us sometimes and says, oh, your flight's delayed before we even know our flight's delayed when we're overseas, you know? So it's, yeah. uh, it, it's pretty amazing. And, and, you know, he's, he's going great guns with that, with that kind of focus and that vision for that, you know, the mind, body, spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't think that I'd be inclined to go, to go elsewhere for my, for my travel needs. It's just, he's, Lives a kilometre from me. <laughs> I'm not going to knock on his door, but I'm happy to make a phone call. Yeah. And uh, he's always always willing to help and go above and beyond for us. Throughout your life, who's been your greatest teacher? I think my dad. Yeah, I think I spent so much time with him uh, and 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 my brother watching them play soccer. And you know, soccer was my was my passion most of my life. And uh, looking up to my brother working his own job to get himself to England um, and watching my dad the way he, he helps everybody. And I think, you know, 
family in general. My 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 family in general have just been a really good guide for me. You know, I have a sister who's a pediatrician in Perth, and the the hard work that and this is all doctors, but the hard work that she has had to go through to get her degree and to specialise, it just showed me that if you put the hard work in, things happen for you. And that's that's the whole family that do that. What does success mean to you? Success for me is my kids growing up to be good people, to be humble and generous, and and to live a happy life. Yep. I think if, if we put our energy into... Of of course, you know, I, I want everyone to be happy, but if we can put our energy into kids and, and youth and, you know, people enjoying their life more and being happier, I think it makes us happy as well. Yeah. Now, the last question, I usually ask, what would you say to a 15-year-old Matt Britton? But I'm going to change it a little bit for you. What would you say to a 15-year-old out there at the moment, someone going through their teens, wanting to achieve things in sport, wanting to achieve things in life, what's the advice? Okay. If I was talking to me, I would say work your backside off on soccer because I think it's possible. What would I say to a 15-year-old today? I would say come up with the wildest dream that you can imagine and have a go at it. It doesn't matter if you don't make it but have a go at it because you, you just don't know. You really don't. Is it going to happen? No, not for everyone, but it may happen to you. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Matt, I wish you and the, the crew, all the volunteers and everyone a safe run this year for Trail to Triumph. Good luck with all your fundraising. Just keep, keep raising that awareness for mesothelioma and, and other dust diseases, and you guys are just champions. Thank you, mate. And we've we've got an interview without you crying, so that's a that, that's a record, I think. Mate, I've actually got tears in my eyes now. So I think Dave's got me there. I, I saw him on a recent trip to Mackay, and and chatted to him after Mackay Park Run. had a, had a good chin wag to him, and he's he's an incredible man. A really really nice guy, tough as nails, but has a, has a really good heart in his chest. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, Maddie, as I said. All the best for the run to you and the volunteers. A massive weekend ahead for you. Yeah, just want to send all the love and support up there for you guys. Thank you, mate. I, I appreciate that and I appreciate what you've done for Trail to Triumph and, and your friendship. Mate, it's, it's a given. We'll, uh, we'll always continue to support it and you know value your friendship and what you do for the community and you're in the same boat, mate. Thank you. All good. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, mate. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. It's been great to have you along for the ride. Remember to hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend. Maybe just one person you think could benefit from what was just shared. Also, if you haven't connected with me yet, you can find me on Instagram at the Steve Hodgson and also share underscore underscore podcast. I'll catch you on the next episode.